0: It's a game the Bearcats aren't used to playing this early in the championship season, but it'll go a long way towards determining this Bearcats team championship aspirations. Our Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen of every day. We're free and available everywhere that you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our Lockdown Bearcats YouTube channel. Follow us, too, to get an alert every time we drop a new episode. Today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or More. Alex Frank with you, former sports director of Bearcats Media, UC student-run media organization, commentated a whole bunch of Bearcats football and men's basketball games. Russ Heltman, my colleague from all Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me today as part of our weekly conversation about the Cincinnati Bearcats football and men's basketball teams. Russ, the Bearcats won on Saturday against Navy, setting up a showdown tomorrow night. With the ECU Pirates, two teams in the thick of the race to the American Athletic Conference Championship game. Just how big of a game is this game tomorrow night?
1: It's the biggest nip at night game probably since, I don't know, maybe maybe obviously the Temple game last year, but like 52 to three, that result was kind of known going in that they weren't going to have any trouble with Temple. And then you obviously have the Sauce Gardner game two years before when you were um, obviously not having fans for nip at night games in 2020 sauce Gardner has his coming out party against UCF. So this is probably the biggest night game at home since 2019. You could kind of count last year's AAC title game. Most of that game taking place under the lights, given the time change and the 4 p.m. kick, but, let's be honest here. It was really mostly not a nip at night game. That wasn't really treated treated like that. So the fact it's a blackout tonight, it has all the the festivities, the home game festivities. It should be, uh, I think a similar type of atmosphere to that UCF win that really jumpstarted this entire program and sauce Gardner's career back in 2019.
0: I don't think any Bearcats fan will forget that night. I certainly won't. I called that game for Bearcats media. One of the most memorable games that I was a part of. Um, so let's go back to Saturday and the win over Navy, 20-10. to 10, Nothing pretty about it, but certainly a bounce-back win for a Bearcats team reeling after a tough loss at Central Florida. I think my biggest takeaway from that game, Russ, was, yes, changes were made along the offensive line, but I don't think the right changes were made. Were they, in your opinion?
1: Um, I don't know if there are changes that can be made to this offensive line that's going to get it to a sustainable and happy level for at least the Bearcats fan base this season it's clear they're in a transition year even though they have a they returned a lot of talent it got shuffled in the beginning of the season you have Lorenz Metz who was dealing with an injury that we didn't really uh, get too privy to until last week when it was revealed that he would start in place of Jeremy Cooper who was also injured so the entire line banged up I don't know that especially like when you look at the snake bit aspect of this unit for UC, the fact that your top player at, at, at along the entire line, Jake Renfro, goes out in week one, and it's just been kind of shuffling players in and out and a inconsistent, basically, mess for the rest of the season. They, It's a big reason why they are such an inconsistent team down to down and in terms of overall success rate offensively.
0: So one thing I'm noticing is the tackle play has been – very subpar. Very inconsistent. Like, I watched I watched Joe Huber, and he has a great story. Former walk-on turn starter. But Russ, he looks lost. I mean, yeah. if he's going up against a strong pass rush, like the safety that was given up at Central Florida was on him. He gave up multiple, I think, was it two sacks on Saturday? It was at least one. And Russ, if this team faces a good pass rush, I, I worry about Joe Huber. James Tunstall has been inconsistent. I mean, he... You know, lackluster tackle play can hurt an offensive line. You can have a great interior line, but if you don't have great play on the outside, that's a problem, Russ.
1: A thousand percent, and it's it's pretty obvious when you look at the sack rates. They're 85th nationally this season with a 7.1% sack rate allowed. They're pretty good in stuff rate. They don't get run stuff very often. 14th in stuff rate this season. But once again, like 68% power success rate in terms of short rartage, have-to-have-it type of type of blocking. They're 75th there. It's just overall a back-end-of-the-country type of unit. I mentioned James Tunstall and his struggles on this podcast multiple times uh, throughout the season so far. You just mentioned Joe Huber. And it's it just seems like one of those problems that's not only evident right now for this team, more evident than it has been in his past, but it's exacerbated by the fact that, yes, Ben Bryant can can sling the ball with the best of them in the American Athletic Conference, but he's pacing towards negative 100 yards rushing right now for uh for the season. And I think he went past it with those sacks taken against Navy. So the fact that the most negative play outside of a turnover that an offense can make is so much more likely this season because of the comeback to earth for the offensive line and the comeback to zero rushing from the running back from the quarterback position. It's really bred the results we have right now. A team in Cincinnati that's in the bottom thirty-five to forty teams nationally and overall sacks allowed per game, which is not something you're used to from this offensive line.
0: No, and and I've noted multiple times, like the sack total that they've allowed this year, it's almost up to where last year's was. Russ, I mean, that's a problem to me. And for a unit that yeah, we thought full, was going to be a full big
1: strength season last year, which, yeah. Which
0: They gave up 24 sacks in 14 games last year. If you throw out Alabama, it's 18 and 13 games. They're already at 23, and we're only through nine games. So that's a problem for me. Um, And I just think about how this offensive line was supposed to be a strength coming into the season, and it, it just has not been that. You return all five starters from the Cotton Bowl last year, and unfortunately, you know, lorenz Metz starting finally on saturday that's great i don't know why jeremy cooper was benched i mean if if you have any rationale behind that because i didn't see anything wrong with him like i would have Metz was put an lorenz at is right what, tackle. Fickle, kept...
1: is what fickle said it was an injury an
0: injury okay
1: yeah undisclosed that so. makes sense that, we'll that's see, unfortunate. What, see what he looks like your, this week
0: yeah that is unfortunate because he's one of your steadier forces on the on that offensive line uh he's been here for four years he's been a starter for four years i think snowper in 2019 if I remember me correctly but he was just I think he did um so it's just been a a roller coaster with this offensive line they can't hold up long and pass protection they're struggling to open up running lanes now let me ask you this before we go to um we transition into segment two like what is there anything new that you've heard on Corey Kiner and his lack of snaps in games Russ
1: it's a total mystery and at this point I think it's just He's, he's lost in the offense. He's lost in the midst of this season. There's no injury update. There's nothing from Luke Fickle to make it seem like he isn't dealing with anything, dealing with that hand again. I didn't see him very often at practice yesterday. And from, from the snaps that I saw in team drills, a lot more Ethan Wright than I've seen really throughout practice all season long. Obviously, he made the transition from running back to safety because they brought in Corey Kiner and they had that running back room too full. Not a great sign to see Ethan Wright back out there carrying the football. Who knows if he'll get snaps at that position this Saturday. I don't believe he's been in at running back all this season. It's has the Charles McClellan show and a Charles McClellan show that just is really defining how impactful Jerome Ford was last year. I think the talent of Jerome Ford, the top four round talent, and sort of the NFL draft position where he was taken is really glaring. And when you look at just how much of a fall up there's been from the ability as a runner from the running back position this season to make guys miss, pull a Keaton Mitchell like we're going to see from uh, ECU and take it ad- and take advantage of all of your opportunities blocking in front of a bad offensive line because that's what ECU has. They're not very good run blocking, but Keaton Mitchell still tops in the AAC in rushing and second overall nationally in yards per carry. Charles McClellan not far behind him at 6.4 yards per tote, but only 114 carries this season. They just have not been able – to get the run game going very heavily. And Charles McClellan, a guy that you probably aren't wanting to give a bell cow back type of workload to like you had in Jerome Ford last year because of McClellan's size, obviously, being just 5'11", 200 pounds, and the two torn ACLs he's gone through already. So those two facts alone make it an obvious reason to me why Charles McClellan is getting more carries and why on Saturday the RPO and the quick passing game, 21 of 25 passing, in terms of passes from the line of scrimmage to 10 yards down the field for Ben Bryant, it was so crucial to getting that 10-point victory, and they wouldn't have pulled off that win if the RPO game wasn't as efficient as it was in replacement of a non-existent rushing attack right now, in large part for me, because we don't know exactly what's going on with Corey Kiner, and to me it seems like he's a guy that's just not necessarily picking up on the offense and doing what the coaching staff wants at this point in his career.
0: Yeah, great to see Ben Bryant bounce back nicely um, on Saturday, throwing for 299. By the way, he's averaged 265 passing yards over his last three games, so that is good to see. Um, I'm going to ask you, Russ, we're going to transition into the game tomorrow night against ECU, and I'm going to ask you, who are who is the bigger concern for the Bearcats? ECU running back Keaton Mitchell or ECU quarterback Holton Ehlers? We'll get into that. Next, but first, today's episode of Lockdown Bearcats is brought to you by Upside. So, Upside offsets inflated prices by giving you cash back on purchases. Um, I use Upside everywhere. When I'm traveling, when I'm getting gas, it's so easy to use. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with all my cash back. I mean, maybe buy myself a, a nice piece of merchandise from Cincy Shirts. But inflation has us all thinking about different ways to cut back Um, Whether it's driving less, dining out less. I certainly have dined out less or buying less from the grocery store. I've done that too. We can all agree there's nothing fun about less. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With Upside, I don't have to cut back because I get cash back on every purchase. And To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED. And get five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in, ask the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Users, <clears throat> excuse me, are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they save, or they have a four point eight star rating on the App Store. Download the free upside app. Use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. Hey, thank you for making Locked Bearcats your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Hosted by Peter Bukowski, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Russ Hellman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, back with me today. <clears throat> Excuse me, right here on Lockdown Bearcats. My name is Alex Frank, your host each and every day. So, Russ, ECU, as Dan Horde alluded to at the end of the broadcast last Saturday, they have a very, very good one-two punch at quarterback and running back. Two guys who have played a lot of football together quarterback Bolton Ehlers, and running back Keaton Mitchell. Mitchell leads the conference in rushing yards and yards per game. He's had, I mean, he had a ridiculous performance at BYU just two weeks ago. So who do you worry about more in this game?
1: The biggest worry for this Bearcats defense has to be Keaton Mitchell. It all starts with Keaton Mitchell. I think the uh, it's not a. I should say it's not a coincidence that Holt Naylor, six years into his uh, FBS career, is having the best production he's ever had, on pace to shatter career highs in yards, passer rating, TDs, completion rate. I mean, all across the board, this guy is having a career year in large part because of the passing lanes and the breathing room he gets from Keaton Mitchell and the threat of the ECU run game. This is. Just, it's not even a good offensive line. Alex, they're 111th in Football Outsiders average line yards. They're 128th in stuff rate. They do not have a high success rate running the ball, but when Keaton Mitchell gets going, he's gone. Gone. Second in the country with 35 10-plus yard runs this season, more than Zach Charbonnet, more than every other top NFL draft prospect in the country this year. 7.1 yards per carry, second nationally. Now that is down to 5.1 yards per carry. In the in the uh, in the conference slate, so that's obviously Bearcat's going to need to pull that puppy closer to five, and hopefully closer to four, if they want to keep him fully contained. He's 863 rushing yards, 20th nationally, leads the AAC as we mentioned. And to me, Mitchell is the skeleton key for this entire ECU offense. What he does and the amount of pressure he puts on defenses, like I just got done mentioning about Jerome Ford and the pressure he put on defenses last year with his big playability really keeps this field opened up and lets guys like C.J. Johnson make huge plays in the open field, leads a team of 16 yards per catch and a team-high eight touchdowns. Like When Keaton Mitchell gets rolling and they can get that play-action game humming, Holton Naylor's going to get into a rhythm, it unlocks everything for this CCU offense and allows them to go over thirty plus points with a with ease. So the fact that Mitchell is so crucial for this rushing attack, it's really built all around Keaton Mitchell this season. And the fact that he can get up to twenty two point six miles per hour, he can blast away and blow away anybody on this Bearcats defense with the speed. It really makes him the most dangerous player on this Pirates offense. And a guy that if he comes out and plays as he's capable of as a sophomore, he can win the entire game for himself and, and really stamp a five-point underdog road victory for the first time for the ecu pirates i believe since they traveled to cincinnati two years ago and got absolutely destroyed 55 17 in a night game one of eight night games in a row the bearcats have won after starting one and four under luke fickle in those uh situations in terms of uh night home games so Keaton Mitchell, he is my number one player to watch out for. 863 yards rushing, 122 carries, next closest guy at 67 and 54 in Rajay Harris and Marlon Gunn Jr. He is the entire ECU offense, and he's a player that Jawan Briggs, Dante Corleone, Ivan Pace are going to have to contain like they did last week, jumping from 91st nationally, Alex, and EPA per rush allowed to 71st nationally now after the big performance against Navy holding them to less than 3.8 yards per carry.
0: Yeah, how about that? I mean, I I just think about how the Bearcats' rush defense has been inconsistent all season. They struggled to stop Arkansas. They did well against Tulsa, but then they let USF, UCF, they let them run all over since their defense. And so it's going to have to be, you know, a very tight-knit performance by the Bearcats if they're going to pull this one out. Because, Russ, if they let Keaton Mitchell get going, that's only going to open up the passing game for whole nailers. Um, And you look at some of these receivers on ECU, some of whom have been here for quite a bit. Um, Isaiah Winstead, averaging 13.6 yards per catch. C.J. Johnson, it feels like he's been there for 20 years with Aylers, 16 yards a catch. Ryan Jones, 10.3. Jalen Johnson, even, 11.9. So, whole Aylers, I mean, Moe's joked about this. You've joked about this. It feels, it feels like he's been playing for 20 years. He holds five conference records. So, my concern is... And this was what I took away from my film review of the of the Bearcats game against Navy is I saw a secondary that got roasted by a triple option. Now put him up against like they struggle to cover. Navy attempted six passes and got 84 yards out of it. And I saw Jaquan Shepherd get lost. I saw two deep ball completions. Russ, for the first time, I'm worried about this secondary against DCU's receivers. Because Sauce Gardner's not here to get a pick six in the fourth quarter like he did in Greenville three years ago, Kobe Bryant's not here to you know beat you know to with his ball skills. So, how concerned are you about this cornerback group heading into a a matchup against a very good receiving core in East Carolina?
1: I'm pretty concerned, Alex. I'm pretty concerned. You mentioned CJ Johnson, him leading the team in yards catch, eight touchdowns this year. He had four touchdowns in one game, I believe. And you look at a guy like. I say I went at ninth nationally in receiving yards per game, or in total receiving yards. Excuse me, and going up against a defense in the passing game that is pretty good, has been pretty good all season, but is not necessarily elite. And I think they're going to have to be elite. And the coaching staff might have might put them in asking you to be elite positions to be able to contain Keaton Mitchell. I think he's a guy that's going to command an extra body in the box for most of this football game. And when you look at this Bearcats pass defense, 27th nationally in EPA per pass allowed, but a kind of strong propensity to give up big plays, but not necessarily a lot of big plays. They're 13th in um, overall passing success rate allowed on defense, 33.5% success rate. Obviously that success rate was like, 50 60 percent against navy but a large part of that i think is they're leading the team that, that they're leading the nation nationally in rushes per game at 62 you don't expect them to throw the ball really at all especially with a backup quarterback in there so i'll cut them a little bit of slack there but there is no qualms or or questions about what is going to happen in this football game. They're going to try to unlock Keaton Mitchell to be able to hit you with big plays over the top to CJ Johnson and Isaiah Winstead via the arm of Holton Naylors, And to, to succumb to, or to squelch that, to make sure that doesn't happen, Jaquan Shepard and Arquan Bush, the time is now. We need them, if you're a Bearcats fan, to have the best game of their season against, I would say, probably the best passing attack top to bottom, weapons wise, that they face this year. And to me, I think they can do it, but it's just going to be a lot of, I think a lot of asking them to stay on, on a man coverage Island and be able to stop CJ Johnson and Isaiah Winstead. Can they do it? I think they can. I'm not necessarily super confident they'll be able to do it. And honestly, we'll get to the predictions at the end here, but it's, it could be a high scoring game at Nippert and it could be a loss for the Bearcats. If this offense does not find more consistent success in the second halves. Um. Real quick, uh,
0: biggest key to the game and score prediction for tomorrow night.
1: My biggest key is those corners. We just got done talking about it. I wrote in my preview, the game gets decided if these corners can be able to man up in coverage. Dante Corleone, Juwan Briggs, Jabari Taylor, Ivan Pace, all of that front seven can get to Holt Naylor's a little faster then they've been able to over the past couple of weeks, get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. Ayler is a guy who, if you take out sack yardage, is hovering right around 200 yards rushing this year. So I'm not necessarily a candidate to go over hundred yards and be that 11th man in the rushing equation, but he can get out and scramble a little bit here and there. So containing him, keeping a sound pocket and a sound crunching situation on him in this passing down scenarios is crucial. And then on offense, Ben Bryant, can you keep this team on schedule in the second half and can they find a second half running game? Can any one of these running backs emerge as a true top-tier talent? You thought it would be Corey Kiner going into the year. You thought he would take the baton from Jerome Ford and be able to run with it as a bell cow back. As of now, there really isn't a bell cow back for this Bearcats offense in terms of being able to give it to a guy 20-plus times, 25-plus times, 15 times in the second half and salt away a game. The Bearcats, I think, will lead at portions of this one, especially in the second half. It's going to come down to this rushing attack, being able to figure it out on third and fourth down in terms of short-rider situations. And... 87th nationally in EPA per rush the numbers say it all they are not efficient in that area of the game right now and they need to get more efficient to help take some of the pressure off our guy Ben Bryant who is uh is getting a lot of unneeded flack right, right now and it's getting to the point where I just I, I don't know what the Bearcats fans want and in, in, in terms of uh back production.
0: Well, they want Evan Prater to start and they want the Bearcats to win every game by 30 points, which
1: right. unfortunately, and a, a guy in Evan Prater who I watched again yesterday at practice. And you want to guess who was better at practice? Alex, you want to take ben a guess? Bryan. Yeah. He was way better than Evan Prater yesterday. So, okay. Okay. I don't know so you heard,
0: it, you heard it here first straight from the source on site boots on the ground that Ben Bryan is better. And I've been saying that all season and he bounced back on Saturday and I said, If you're going to smash him while he's down, which I really don't understand some of the comments from last week, you better give him some credit when he turns in a 25 for 35 for 299 and two touchdowns and no picks against Navy. And I don't care if Navy's past defense is as bad as it was. You still had to execute, and he did to a very, very high level. All right, coming up, we're going to switch gears to the hardwood. Was the Bearcats performance Monday night a sign of things to come? For this season, Russ was there. He'll tell you all about what he thinks about Monday night's season opening win for the Bearcats. But first, a word from Bet Online. As you see on your screen, the number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get all the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts like this one, Lockdown Bearcats, you can find those at Bet Online as, as well. And we're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, we're going to switch gears, talk some hoops. The Bearcats Monday night. By the way, there's a game tonight. Russ, are you heading to the 5th, 3rd Arena tonight for the Bearcats against Cleveland State? who lost a shocker to who was it on um Notre Dame College okay
1: yeah to quote John I I had never heard of him before either Alex
0: (laughs) the epitome of brutality um so the Bearcats win on Monday night 98 to 55 over Chaminade David DeJulius led the way 24 points Landers Nolly or as they call him Ches, uh very very impressive in his first game as a Bearcat with 19 points Rob Finnessy led the team with eight assists. Um, Was this performance, Russ, what's your assessment, first of all? And is this a sign of things to come this season?
1: I don't know how you give anything but an A to that performance. They looked really good, solid. You can't give an A-plus to a Division II school game, but you can give them an A for their execution. I thought the on-ball defense was fantastic. The pressure they put on Chaminade was fantastic. To see 22 turnovers forced, 12 steals, It seems like that UNC Greensboro vaunted press defense is actually going to come to fruition and make its way to Clifton this season. I'm very impressed with what I've seen so far in practice from this Bearcats team. You and I talked about that last week in terms of the willingness to chirp each other, the willingness to hold each other accountable. I saw that again during this game. I saw the fire and the joy that a duo like Jeremiah Davenport and Lander's Nolly are going to bring especially to those home game environments and really up the level of uh excitement and energy in Fifth Third Arena that was evident when they hit uh their I think they each went 2 for 2 to start that game Lander's Nolly with uh, with back-to-back triples from the outside wing a 19 point performance the most scored by a Bearcat in their debut since Sean Kilpatrick 12 years ago so that's a great sign of things to come for the Lander's Nolly experience I'm thoroughly impressed, Alex. You play 13 out of your 15 guys. Daniel Skillings gets in, has a breakaway dunk for his first bucket, scores nine points, still some work to do defensively. But like I mentioned, I loved what I saw from Dan Skillings in the the preseason. I had that as my bull prediction. One of my bull predictions, him being a rotation player, cemented rotation player this season. And he was the first and only freshman that came off the bench, one of the earlier reserves to get in the game. And just overall, from the freshman to David DeJulius, I didn't even mention him, team high, quiet 24 points. We could see more quiet 20-point games this season instead of loud 13, 14-point games and losses last season from David DeJulius. I think all of the added versatility and talent is going to allow him to fly under the radar a little bit more and be even more productive. So it's Really good to see. Mike Adams-Woods picked up where he left off defensively. He looked good. Rob Fennessey ties a career high with eight assists in his Bearcats debut. The most assists in a game by a Bearcat since Mike Saunders um, had, I think, eight ass- or ten assists last year in a conference game. So, I, a, a performance. And it was kind of funny. Like, but Coach Miller after the game, because, you know, coaches, they don't want to just pump their guys up the whole time. And it was funny trying to like listen to him and hear him try to nitpick some of the things that they were doing wrong. But overall, when you beat a team by 40 and you maintain a 30-point lead for, I believe, almost the entire second half, that's, a, that's, a, that's an A day at the office.
0: Okay, so what do you expect tonight against Cleveland State? Second home game of the season, what do you expect to see from the Bearcats tonight?
1: It's more of the same. Hover near 80 points. I'd like to see them get get close to or break that barrier mark. Destroy this Cleveland State team that you're I, – I haven't looked at the line uh, so far, but I know they're a 92% favorite to win this game on uh, on ESPN's matchup predictor. That usually equates to about a 14-15 point line. If you can notch a 14-15 to 15 point victory, blow Cleveland State out, send them on their way down State Route 32 to Athens to take on Ohio this Saturday, then that's, that's what I'm looking for out of this team. Cleveland State – Deshaun, or excuse me, Tristan Inoumara, Inaruma, excuse me, the Netherlands name right there. He hails from the Netherlands, came from Kansas, transferred to Iowa State last year, and then transferred from Iowa State to Cleveland State this year. Had a double double in the season opening loss to the Notre Dame College Falcons at six foot eight a little over 200 or 230 pounds. He's a guy that can really bruise and bang down in the middle. And I'm interested to see how the Bearcats handle a talent like that. And then I believe it's Sean Parker had a double-double for them as well on uh, on the season of the game against Notre Dame on Monday night. And that maybe you can try to access some more of that ball pressure, see how the full-court press is working against a higher-tier team Phenomenon, but not that much higher tier. I mean, Cleveland State, 271st nationally in Ken Palm rankings. They are just not a good team, and this is a game, Alex, that the Bearcats should win by double digits at the minimum. And you're probably looking for a 15 to 20 point win if you're uh, part of the Bearcats faithful. Desh- Parker, not to Thomas for the uh, for the leading yeah. assist man out of Cleveland State.
0: Crazy to think that Cleveland State was in the NCAA tournament two years ago when they won the Horizon League. They had a really good team. Um, Dennis Gates, I believe, was the head coach of that team. I don't know if he's still the head coach. Russ, you know, you've you done your research for this game. I've been focusing on football and the election down here in uh, Georgia. Sorry, I shouldn't say the word election on a podcast, but you know, I, <laughs> I do have a full-time job down here in making Georgia. So I, I, doing this podcast helps me keep my sanity um, during the week. So um, I'm going to dig into some Cleveland State prep tonight. Our, we recorded this on Wednesday, so I'm going to dig into my prep Wednesday night and then get ready for the game tonight. Jermaine um, Henderson, you're hearing this on Thursday is going to real- be your
1: head coach now at Cleveland State. Dennis Gates. Okay. Gone. I,
0: I thought I thought Dennis Gates left. I thought Dennis Gates left. Um, he was a good coach, though. Um so, Danielle, Mar-
1: Don- Danielle right. Robinson. I was looking at the wrong uh, wrong part of the page. Danielle, Danielle the head Robinson. Danielle Robinson. Jermaine okay. Henderson in the system.
0: Interesting. All right. So I like to always end with a Bengals question for you because you write for all Bengals for our buddy, James Rapine. Russ, is Joe Mixon revived?
1: B. He did that against one of the better defensive fronts in the NFL. Coming into the game, Derek Brown was, I believe, ninth in ESPN's run block win rate. Matt Ioannidis was right up there as well in defensive tackle or in defensive end run block win rate. rate, That's such a hard term phrase to say. (laughs) And so, 153 rushing yards, five total touchdowns. <laughs> Joe Mixon, it's funny. He actually went in Football Outsiders, DYAR, rush efficiency metric. He went from 33rd among qualified runners in that stat to 16th among qualified runners. He He literally cut the gap in half with that masterful, masterful performance. Eighth most PPR points in NFL history. I need to see it happen more than once, though. I need to see it happen more than once to make sure that this is something that can be sustainable. What I think is sustainable is the blocking schemes and the moxie and the mauling that we saw from guys like Lyle Collins, Jonah Williams in the run game. Those two have struggled heavily in pass protection, but if they can access that part of the offense and access that part of their tackle's games efficiently in terms of being able to hit pinpole schemes, being able to run from under shotgun, being able to run from under center, then you can really start to – piece together some consistent running games in a league where you're just not going to be able to run the football out of shotgun as your only way to have your ball carrier get touches and not throw it to them. It's just not sustainable. If it was sustainable, we would have seen an NFL offense do it for eternity, but guess what defenses adjust. You have to bring more than one, Game plan to the table. You got to bring more than one option to the table. Running the football outside of just going from RPO shotgun schemes, and the Bengals did that against Carolina. A solid front at that, and I like to see him do it against another solid front in Pittsburgh, who could um I don't know what the status of T.J. Watt is. He I know he didn't go on IR for the full year from that torn pector pectoral muscle, so maybe he could get back for in the next couple of weeks and be a problem for the Bengals once again. But Cam Hayward. The rest of that Steelers defensive line, decent run run defense, 16th in the NFL in uh, rushing yards per game allowed. So a middle-of-the-tier defense after you play a good defense rushing-wise, then you should be able to put another great performance together if you're Joe Mixon in this offensive line.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I mean, let's not forget last year in November when T.J. Watt did play against the the Bengals, Joe Mixon ran for 165 yards. Yeah, that's so the
1: last time. There is that. That's the ahead last ahead. time you won AFC Player and, of the Week.
0: <laughs> yeah, and let's not forget he was named AFC Offensive Player of the Week this week. Let's not forget that this game against Pittsburgh is now being played at 4:25 as opposed to be being played in prime time. So that is a major plus for the Bengals. And I just think, like you know, what stood out to me was you know they get blown out by Cleveland. I think they played a little ticked off last Sunday. I think that they were, you know, hearing, oh, the seasons, you know, this is their demise. You know, without Jamar, what are they going to do? And then you had Dominique Foxworth say, well, uh, P.J. Walker's going to outplay Joe Burrow. Well, P.J. Walker was benched at halftime. So I think this team is fine. You know, I expect them to beat Pittsburgh, Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee just gave Kansas City a bunch of, of fits. So,
1: and they passed the ball white. You know, in the second half. What? Tennessee did. <laughs> and still took Casey to overtime. Crazy.
0: They only had two passes in the second half? Two times.
1: They threw the ball twice. The threw it two times in the second half. (laughs) Derrick Henry show.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully DJ Reader plays against Tennessee then, because my goodness. Um, Russ Heltman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, follow him on Twitter at RussHeltman11. He'll be at the game tonight against Cleveland State. He'll be at the football game tomorrow night against ECU. He'll be back next Thursday. We've got a... A football game to recap we've got what three basketball games to um i think three at least two we're going to record it probably before the nku game um no. but we've got multiple basketball games to talk about and then we're going to preview a little trip to maui russ how about that trip to maui for the bearcats so we got a lot to get to next week but russ thank you as always for joining me today and uh, you have a a great time of the game tonight. Enjoy your weekend and uh, best wishes to you. We'll talk to you soon here on Lockdown. Best Bearcats. Best time of
1: the year, Alex. Football and basketball in full swing. We'll talk next week.
0: No question about it. Russ Hellman, my colleague at All Bearcats and Sports Illustrated, joining me today. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie underscore Natty with two N's and an ATI. You can follow me on Instagram, AlexFrank9 underscore or email me at Alex3Frank at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. We'll network your team every day. How about for your second listen today, check out the lockdown sports today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights. Only lockdown can provide lockdown sports today hosted by Peter Bukowski available on this app, YouTube and wherever you get your podcast back tomorrow with a game preview looking at the Bearcats in ECU. We'll take a look at how the Bearcats can slow down a top 25 offense in the ECU pirates and if you know history, recent history of Bearcats football, it's going to come in full circle tomorrow night against ECU. Very excited for that. Very excited to be back with you all tomorrow. It is a game day preview edition. We haven't had a Friday game yet this season. So we post the game previews on Friday and the game is on Friday. How about that? So double dip in a little bit. Um, but anyway, until then, stay safe, stay healthy. So you can keep making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen of every day. I'm Alex Frank for the Lockdown Bearcats Podcast. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.